our text this afternoon is 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 13, stanzas 1 through 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think that a very hard job would be a, a guard or a soldier at an important occasion, an important function. You know those royal British foot soldiers or guards? You know, the one with the 18 inch tall black bear hats. The, if you ever see a picture of them or see them on TV, they're only allowed to look straight ahead. You can't talk to them. They won't talk back. They won't look at you. They look straight ahead. Now, can you imagine that at the, the marriage of Kate and, and Will, those poor soldiers, while the whole world is watching this eagerly, this, this couple getting married, everyone's watching every move they make, the soldiers have to look straight ahead. Kate could walk right by or go right by in her carriage. They're not allowed to look at all. How frustrating that must be. It's an image that came to mind as I started to look at the passage that we're considering this afternoon. We read here about Old Testament prophets who received from the Holy Spirit the good news of the coming Christ. And they were told that he would suffer and then be glorified. And then they tried to figure out all the details. They tried to figure out when this would happen and what it would all mean. And it was hidden from them. Even angels were trying to look into it. They couldn't figure it out. It was incredibly frustrating. They're standing there scratching their heads, you know, looking at this thing and yet not being able to see it and figure out all the details. Now, when we think about that today, looking back at our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament... We think, oh, you poor guys. You had the truth. You had the gospel. And you couldn't fully understand it, how frustrating that must be. Well, we'll look at that this afternoon and come to an explanation of why that is. But we want to keep in mind the context in which we find this passage. And that's Peter writing to Gentiles who had become Christians. And these newfound Christians were being incredibly persecuted by their former pagan friends and neighbors. It was a tough life. To them, Peter is now preaching. He's telling the things in our text. In fact, he said in the verse just before our text about Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These pagans who have become Christians, they had never met Jesus personally. He had already ascended into heaven. But they knew 
that Jesus had died for them. They knew that Jesus loved them, and they loved Jesus Christ. And that, and that knowledge gave them courage and strength. And that Peter adds, in fact, you know stuff that the Old Testament prophets didn't know. You know so much more. You have it all. You got the full, rich gospel. And that, that was meant to comfort them and comfort us today that when we deal with trials and tribulations, if we are in any way persecuted, let's say the world around us makes life difficult, we know one thing, Jesus loves us and nothing can separate us from his love. We'll summarize our text in this way. The message of salvation is fully revealed by the Spirit of Christ. We'll see three things. First of all, what was spoken by the prophets, and that's verses 10a and 11b. Secondly, how prophets and angels look longingly, that's 10b and 11 and 12b. And three, why this grace is fully revealed now, and that's 12a. I know it's complicated, but we'll try to figure it all out. In our first point, we're dealing with the first part of verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you, and they were also attached to that, the second part of verse 11, where we read about those prophets that the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, it sounds pretty complicated, but what Peter was saying is, okay, let's consider the Old Testament prophets. He doesn't specify who he's talking about. There's lots of them. Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Haggai, lots of Old Testament prophets. And his readers knew these prophets. Now, they were from pagan background. They, did, they didn't grow up with the Old Testament. It was all fairly new to them. But they were reading it and understanding it and rejoicing. And in fact, the Old Testament belongs more to a pagan who becomes a Christian than to any Jew who does not see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A Jew will say, the Old Testament is mine, but it's not yours if you don't see Jesus Christ on every page. These pagans who had become Christians, they were being introduced to the Old Testament, they saw everywhere the good news of Jesus Christ, who loved them and laid down his life for them. Now Peter is saying those, those Old Testament prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Inspired to the extent that they were given the good news of the coming Christ, that he would suffer and then be glorified. In fact, our text does not say that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Old Testament prophets inspired by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that may sound very strange and difficult because Jesus Christ hadn't been born yet. But who is Jesus Christ? Who is this person? That person is the eternal Son of God. And he was there in the Old Testament. That eternal Son of God, already there in the Old Testament, knew that one day he would become the man Jesus to lay down his life for sinners. So already in the Old Testament, he sent his Holy Spirit into the hearts of the prophets to reveal that Christ was coming, that he would lay down his life for sinners. And after that, he would be glorified. So the Old Testament believer was well acquainted with, was fully told that Christ was coming. He is their Lord 
and their Savior. So the Old Testament prophets were well aware that they were filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ and that they had the Gospel. There's lots of examples of that. Take an example like Job. I'm not going to take all the obvious ones. But you take Job. In Job 19, Job is pretty sure his life was over. His life was a mess. Kids had all been killed. Lost all his respect, all his money. People were mocking him. He was skin and bones. He was dying. And what he thought were his dying words, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. There's an Old Testament prophet standing at what he thought was the end of his life. And he clung to the one thing that he had, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will see him after death. My Savior is there. And he saves me. I have a future beyond the door of death. I live and I die in hope. Another obvious example would be Isaiah 53. And I don't think anybody in this room has any doubt that Isaiah knew exactly who he was talking about when he said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. He's talking there about the coming Christ would take our sins upon himself and would be crushed for that. He would be sacrificed for those sins. Of course, it all goes back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell into sin. And God first came, said to the serpent, and to Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That was the gospel that a man would one day come, born from the line of the woman, crush the serpent at the cost of bruising his own heel. He'll hurt himself in the process. He'll die in the process, but he will be the victor. And of course, finally, we could look at Peter himself. Peter writes his epistle, but I think you all are well aware that what Peter is really well known for is the Pentecost sermon of Acts 2. And in that Pentecost sermon, he's talking about David and what he writes in Psalm 16. You know the part that says, My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your, let your Holy One see decay. Then Peter says in his Pentecost sermon about David, listen to this, it's insightful. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Peter's not saying, this is my take on Psalm 16. It's David's take on Psalm 16. When David said, my body will not see decay, David knew he was talking about his son, the coming Christ, who would die but rise again. Sheol, Hades, would not hold him. So the Old Testament prophets filled with the Spirit of Christ, were well conscious of the fact they were predicting the coming of Christ, predicting his death, predicting his glory. That's why people like like Joseph and Mary, Simeon and, and Anna, Elizabeth and Zechariah were waiting for Jesus Christ when he was born. 
It also explains the deep frustration that typified the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, he, he talked to his two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He showed his frustration, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Jesus says, didn't you see it? The Old Testament said, I would die and I would rise again. What we take from this is the realization that our our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament knew Jesus. And they knew him as their Lord and Savior. He had not been born yet, he had not come yet, but he was coming. And they knew it. Because they believed in him, they had the forgiveness of sins. They were born again. They lived in the hope that even death itself could not remove them from the love and the presence of God. Now that may sound very puzzling to you. How can you have the forgiveness of sins before Jesus died and rose again? That's not logical. Jesus had to die, and only then can there be the forgiveness of sins. But you know what, brothers and sisters, that's the power of the grace of God. Not just the grace of God, but the promises of God. When God says, this is what I'm going to do, that's a done deal. When he said to Adam and Eve, you know, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's going to happen. And when Adam and Eve said, we believe, their sins were forgiven right there. Thousands of years, even before Jesus Christ came. Our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament live fully in the joy of salvation, of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So, brothers and sisters, we'll see now in our second point that there was not full understanding yet, but we're absolutely sure of one thing, that God has never left his people without the full, rich gospel of salvation. That brings us to our our second point, and that's verses 10b through 11 and 12b. First of all, we read in verse 10b and 11 that the, the prophets who received the word of the Spirit searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. And we add the last part of verse 12, even angels long to look into these things. So what we're looking at here is that in the Old Testament, those prophets and angels themselves, they had the promises of the coming Christ and they were looking into it trying to figure out everything. What does Isaiah 53 mean? What does Genesis 3 mean? What does does it all mean? But they couldn't entirely figure it out or understand it. Like the British guard, who can only look straight ahead and can't see everything going by, they got this narrow glimpse and they saw Jesus and it was enough. That's all that they saw. They didn't get the full picture. Very frustrating They were left there scratching their heads. And again, we want to be careful. We're not saying that our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament were not saved. We already established that. What we're wondering about is why were they not allowed to see the complete picture? Why were details hidden from them? As our text says, the prophets worked really hard 
trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Why couldn't they see it fully? You know what the answer is? It's the nature of the beast. This is the Old Testament. Man had fallen into sin. His mind was corrupted. He was living in darkness. It was a time of shadows. And no matter what truth was given to our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament, without Jesus Christ actually coming, being born here, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, pouring out His Holy Spirit on Pentecost, without seeing that full picture of history happening, they were in the shadows. You know, they were looking at the cross that was ahead. And beyond that cross was this brilliant light, and it threw a shadow back in the Old Testament. They saw the shadow of the cross. They saw Jesus, but it was still a shadow. They couldn't get the full picture. And that's why you read about things like the flood and the fall of the Tower of Babel and why God chose Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans because the Old Testament world couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't figure out the truth. So then what God did is he took a small people and he corralled them. He tightened things up. He gave them the temple and the ceremonial law, laws of clean and unclean. Sometimes we, we romanticize that. People say, I, I, I'd love to be in the Old Testament temple. I'd, I'd love to see the high priest in his finery, you know, that, that altar of, of burnt offering and, and all those things. I would love to have been there. Oh, no, you wouldn't. Don't romanticize it. You'd hate it. You would hate the Old Testament temple from today's perspective. You get there, it stinks of blood. You see the Gentiles who want to know God. They're in the outer court. The women are over here. Only the priests can go that far. Only the high priest could come to the altar of, of God's grace and the Holy of Holies. And then once per year, it's not beautiful. It's not romantic. But this is what God did in the Old Testament to try to keep his people focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, People still couldn't handle the truth. Honestly, brothers and sisters, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how often don't you read things like Jesus sat his disciples down? He sat them down. After Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus sat them down and said, okay, you're ready for the truth, right? Now you know, I will suffer and I will die. On the third days, I'll rise again. And they got mad at him. Peter got mad at them. They couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't stand the truth. They loved Jesus. He was their Lord and Savior. They never understood that the way for him to be their Savior would be to lay aside any sword, lay aside the horses and the chariots, and take the sins of the world on himself and die for that on the cross of Golgotha. Only, only after Jesus Christ died and rose again only when he poured out his spirit on Pentecost. It was like scales fell from the eyes of believers 
and they saw the truth. And if you read through the book of Acts, you read how Peter and John are explaining to people left, right, and center, saying, look, the Old Testament shows us this. They never saw it before. You know, they they just saw straight ahead. They saw Jesus was coming. They didn't know all the details. They didn't understand all the circumstances. And that's why it says in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Another powerful example of this is if you think of Moses, Moses in the Old Testament was a, was a standalone prophet, head and shoulders above anyone else. Do you remember when he used to go on the mountain, he actually met God face to face? And what happened is that Moses' face became radiant. Something of the glory of God was reflected in the face of Moses. When he came down from the mountain, the people screamed in terror. They couldn't handle that. So Moses had to cover his face until the radiance faded away. In the time of shadow, they, they just couldn't handle God that close and that radiant. But then Paul wrote later on in 2 Corinthians, he says, But today, when en- whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now the face of God shines upon us as never before. And there's a radiance about us, not, not, not something that you necessarily see in my face, but that you see in your heart, and in your words, and in your deeds. Lives so transformed by Jesus... You shine like the sun. You are like the stars of heaven, showing to the world the beauty of being washed in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, being born again, showing that you have a peace that passes all understanding. It's striking that we read in our text, even angels long to look into these things. That's something you don't think about because in the Old Testament, angels are often, well, they're always messengers. And sometimes the prophets would say to the angel messenger, what does this mean? And the angel would explain. But angels don't know everything either. They're not omniscient. They're things they had to learn. That's why, and if you pay attention to this, when Jesus Christ was coming to this world, the angels were there at Bethlehem. A host of them. When he was raised from the dead, they were there at the tomb. They're the only ones who saw him come out. They were there at his ascension because the, the, the angels themselves longed to see the truth. They longed to see the Son of God, now the Son of Man, lay down his life for sinners and be victorious. And you know why? Because now they got a job. You know, they're going to be all unemployed. If Jesus Christ doesn't do his work, angels will be unemployed because their job is to serve the elect. Their job is to serve, serve us as the children of God the believers of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's quite an eye-opener, that, that when we stand here from today and look back in history and the Old Testament, and we look at the good news of Jesus Christ, which was there, prophets didn't fully understand it. They were inspired. And angels didn't fully understand it either. And that brings us to the heart of the matter, which is our final point. 
And now we're looking at the first part of verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from God. So the emphasis in the final part of our text is that Peter is saying to the readers, you now live after Jesus died and rose again. You live after Pentecost. You've had men like me, Peter. You've had John and you've had Paul come to you and preach the good news of him who died, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of glory. And you see the truth and you see it fully. Uh, not, not to flog a dead horse, brothers and sisters, but to use again the example of the British foot soldiers who are only allowed to look straight ahead. And like the Old Testament prophets, they only got a bit of a, a vision of Jesus. You're not a, a guard who stands there at attention and you can't look. You're the guy, you're the person beside the guard. And you can look at every direction, see the sights. And if your future king walks by and you get a chance, shake his hand. Shake her hand. You're there. You can get the full picture, the full details. And that's what we are today. We, we are a people who have the light shining all around us, look in every direction, see the work of God, see the coming of the kingdom of heaven. To, to try to make this clear, imagine if you could take a Jew from the Old Testament and superimpose him through time travel here today so that he stood in our midst. Even take a man like Samuel, or Daniel, or, or David, to bring them here today. Their jaw would drop down to their knees. They couldn't believe it. A church without a temple building, without all these bloody, smelly sacrifices, a church where everybody can draw near to the mercy seat of God, to the face of God, and receive mercy to help in times of need. A church, not just of Jews, but of people of all colors and nationality. This morning, when I celebrated Lord's Supper with my congregation, it wasn't just white people, but we had black Africans. We had Chinese. We had First Nation people of Canada coming to the Lord's table. Never possible in the Old Testament. You know why? Because it is a glorious day where our Lord Jesus Christ has won the opportunity, not, not the opportunity, he has won the right to spread his kingdom over the face of the whole earth, and Satan can't stop him. Throughout this world, Jesus Christ is gathering, defending, and preserving his church from people of all color, and all nationalities, and all walks of life. Go to the alleys. Go to the horrible parts of Calcutta. Go to downtown Beijing. Go to Rio de Janeiro, wherever. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and Satan can't stop it because people are embracing it and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, knowing it fully and realizing that soon Jesus Christ will return to take, him, take them to himself in everlasting glory. Really, the, the final application of this text in our sermon comes down to this. Do you know what you have? And sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. I see that with people with, with marriages. Marriage is such a beautiful thing. 
Some people don't seem to realize it. They don't work on it. They let it fall apart. They don't realize what a beautiful thing they have until it's gone. We have something tremendously beautiful as a New Testament church, as a New Testament congregation, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's coming from us from every angle. It, ever since Pentecost, it's been a, an explosion. The lid has been blown off Old Testament dark times. Twice every Sunday, you get the beautiful gospel preached to you. Our children have Christian education. We have catechism classes. We have young peoples. We have in this city boys and girls clubs. We have gems and cadets. It is a smorgasbord of, of information of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ coming to the elderly, to, to, to fathers and mothers, to teenagers, to boys and girls. Do you appreciate it? Do you rejoice that you have what once angels longed to look into, what prophets could not understand? Is having the gospel of Jesus Christ more important to you than a rock concert, a hockey game, going out with your friends for eating and drinking? Do you say the most important thing in my life is that I can hear the word of God and I can see Jesus? I I can see him as he stands before me and as I experience him in my life and in my heart. I know he loves me. And I love him, and soon I will see him come on the clouds of heaven. He'll wipe away every tear from my eyes. He'll reveal everything to me, and I will dwell with him forever. Amen.